Well, good morning, everyone. The Mary Griffith Show is underway for this Monday, February 13th, powered by Refreshment Services Pepsi and Harvest Ridge Coffee. Pick up a delicious cup of Harvest Ridge at your local convenience store today or brew your own at home like we do at the office here each morning. It's Harvest Ridge from Refreshment Services Pepsi. Well, I'm so excited today. Our state senator, Jill Tracy from Quincy, who serves most of West Central Illinois, is my guest today, along with Richard Elson-Peter. And this is the day we talk about tri-state veteran support and together with tri-state veterans, their mission to bring awareness about veteran suicide in all of our rural communities. So, Richard Elson-Peter, thank you. Thank you for having us today. And I'm so glad I let you book the guest. So when somebody said Jill Tracy was here, I ran right out. What does she want? <laughs> Maybe she wants me to be her press secretary. I got so excited. I thought I was going to get a big promotion. But no, Jill Tracy is our guest today talking about veterans issues. Welcome. Well, welcome. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. Uh, you know, veterans issues is something that you don't have to argue too much about with the R's and the D's. Most everybody agrees. We're supposed to support our veterans. But, of course, there's always time, money, energy, things like that. So let's talk a little bit about um, what the state of Illinois is doing to help veterans. And you can start anywhere you want to on that. You can start at our veterans' home here in Quincy. You can start at suicide prevention efforts, whatever you want to tell us about. Well, I I drove by the veterans' home on my way in, and it's exciting to see all the the new building and construction that's going to be there. It's on target to be uh, completed uh, by the date uh, that it was set for, and the things that are happening out there are very exciting because we realize that we had to update our services that we're going to have a lot more veterans needing the services of the Quincy Veterans Home. And uh, on the state side, we just did a changeover, well, actually, it's a national effort of 988, which is a new uh, suicide hotline. And certainly it's, it's designed that you will have somebody trained in mental health services to answer that 988 number rather than calling the 911 traditional number for just any type of emergency. So it's, ha- it's had good reviews so far. It, it's in implementation. You always have some glitches, but uh, we're working very hard to make sure it's funded properly and that it's up and running well in Illinois. And that it's staffed properly, which is... Sometimes two different things. We're all experiencing staffing difficulties. We don't want to go into it, but just last week there was an officer involved shooting, three officers involved in a shooting of a man with known uh, mental health issues in our area. And so this is a problem not just for veterans, but for everyone. We expect our uh, EMT and paramedics and our uh, police officers and sometimes even our firefighters to come to a scene and perhaps not be fully uh trained on what's going on there and so if folks could have a way to get some others involved in that response it it could be very beneficial so this 988 uh, that's the kind of number to call when folks need their own counseling or if they want to report somebody I guess that that probably could be harmful. Right it's just uh, set aside for suicide prevention and those type of issues Uh, certainly Illinois has uh, a, a dire lack of funding for all mental health issues and I belong to the Women's Caucus in the Senate. It's a bipartisan effort and we prioritize what we want to see funded and mental health issues 
always seems to be talked about but never properly funded, as you say, staffed and everything. So that's one of our budget priorities that will go to the budgeteers and the Senate president and the leader uh, speaker in the House and say, we really want to see mental health issues funded. And then also um, next in line with that is developmentally disabled people too. Those The most vulnerable of our society, we talk about wanting to help all the time, but they don't have a strong voice as far as lobby money and, and that type of thing. So uh, certainly that's one of my priorities. I, I filed a couple of bills this year in the Senate. One is addressing veterans' homelessness, and the other one is uh, more towards the mental health issues of veterans. And you're right, it, veterans has to be uh, highlighted, but um, in rural areas, farmers, just people that uh, – have a hopelessness with, say, inflation or family issues and the like. Mental health is a, is problematic in Illinois and nationwide, and and certainly our rural areas because I, I my guess is a big guess would be that we just don't have a lot of psychiatrists or mental health providers in the rural areas. It it is a problem, and you've been uh, you were first elected to the state house in 2006. And you've been serving in the House and now the Senate, and you're the Senate Republican whip. You've risen up through the ranks. You're a powerful voice. You're not in the majority, uh, which is always interesting. Most people that come from our neck of the woods, Republicans, are not in the majority in the legislature. But you have a powerful voice, and you have a lot of allies across the aisle who care about uh, the same things you care about. You also, when it comes to veterans' issues, you have some uh, pretty personal ties and connections with this. Uh, let's talk a little bit about why you care so much about veterans' issues, besides just being a regular old American. Well, I, I'm, I'm the proud uh, <laughs> daughter of a father-in-law that was a Marine, a stepfather who was in the Navy, a brother that was in the Navy in Vietnam era, and now my uh, son, who is a priest, is also a chaplain in the Illinois National Guard. So I, I'm, I'm proud that we have a, a line of services. So many um, Americans and Illinoisans have a connection to the, the military and the veterans. And uh, we just love our country and our state and want to serve, I, I guess, as so many do. You know, you're into, it's interesting because your son is on the front lines of that, having to deal with people in the National Guard who, who might need counseling, who might need um, some help. You, you mentioned that your family served. Um, uh, in years past, and Richard, jump in on this, because we know that veterans are often reluctant to ask for help. This is a continuing theme when we have you on, on the Mary Griffith Show. And so, Senator Tracy, you had mentioned, you know, homelessness with veterans. A lot of that has to do with mental health issues. Uh, it's not just a poverty issue or I don't have a job issue. It's It's really a Homelessness, I don't want to say it's their choice. It's they, they have difficulty conforming to society to be housed. And so these are some really of our most vulnerable veterans. So as a lawmaker, how do you, you can't just throw money at a problem and make it go away. How is important is it to have groups like Tri-State Veterans Support and other groups like what Richard Elson-Peter is involved with here in Adams, Brown, Pike, Schuyler Counties, Hancock County, so that we know that the money is not just out there, but that it's actually getting to the people who need the help. Well, that, uh, Richard's work with the Tri-State is incredible, and having the, the resource fair, because so many of them don't know where to go or 
uh, maybe their family members identify that they recognize that they need these resources, and so the family members can reach out to something like the, the Tri-State Veterans Resource Fair to learn what is out there and to try to plug it in to help their loved one or the, the veteran themselves. Uh, what these men and women have experienced in these last war efforts is tremendous and they bring it back home with them and as you say they don't feel like they fit into society when they've been in that structured living experience and then now and traumatic experiences day by day and then come back and, and live in this world and so uh, sometimes they just don't even recognize it in, in among themselves it's become the norm in their daily routine and so like I say knowing uh, that family members can tell them about resources but as Richard and I were talking earlier it's still a struggle the resource fair is one day and so if you don't hear about it you don't know about it and that's exactly what Richard's group is trying to prevent so anytime anything we can publicize about what is out there and there are numerous groups working towards the same goal but if you don't know about it, it won't help you a bit. And the the suicide prevention, you've got a wonderful campaign launched on television, radio, you know, letting people know from people who have attempted suicide and, and who were saved or rescued from that suicide attempt that there is help out there. But when you're dealing with mental health, uh, you know, Jill Tracy's not a psychiatrist by profession. I'm not, and Richard's not. And so... Uh, it's very, very difficult when you're dealing with mental health issues to apply what is needed at that moment of crisis. It literally has to happen within like a five to 50 minute, you know, an hour's too long. By that time, you know, many people cannot be deterred. It's, it's, there's really some difficulties there. And I guess one thing to ask is, you know, government's doing a lot, I think, but what more can government do or is it back to, friends and family knowing about government resources. Well, a minister once described me uh, to me as uh, with suicide, it's kind of like a, a heart attack of the brain. It happens quickly, that thought. And so the 988 number, I hope, will be promoted and people will avail themselves of it. But let's face it, uh, someone with that heart attack of the brain at the moment uh, it may not be a, a lucid enough moment for them to reach to the phone and call for help. And so it, it's a tough thing to stop. Um, I, I've suffered, uh, my whole family suffered and still continues to suffer every day with a, a family member who committed suicide. So uh, it, it's something that how we prevent it is an ongoing learning event. But uh, as Richard mentioned earlier, we don't want we want to help people way before way before they get to that moment of hopelessness or uh, loss uh, that they don't see any other way out so uh, that's where Richard's stuff comes in yeah and well, thank you for sharing that personal story because uh, a lot of people feel guilt what could I have done um, you know there's just there's an awful lot attached to suicide stigma what could I have done? Why was it more help available? Why couldn't they reach out? These are questions that survivors have. And it's really not fair to put that on the survivor. But you're right, prevention, getting that help early on before the person is in crisis. And Richard, that's what your groups are doing so well. Well, it is. It's very much. And to bring up the, uh, the amount of time, 
what we wanted to whenever we're talking to a veteran or a veteran that's in crisis is give them time to think about what they're doing to contemplate the repercussions of what will happen because so many times when a veteran is at that point when those demons have encircled him when the darkness has surrounded him uh, he sees no exit he sees no exit plan he sees no way of getting out he just wants the pain to stop he just wants the loneliness to stop uh, and he thinks he's a burden on everybody else and that by him committing suicide it will relieve the family of the pressure that he's bringing upon them which are all fallacies that's those you know those are not true but historically I and I'm not gonna have the exact numbers but from my memory and that's a horrible thing for me to do is go off memory but I believe it's like 24 percent of the veterans that decide to commit suicide do it within the first 15 minutes of deciding that something like 78 percent do it within the first hour after they've decided that so what you want to do is build in that time give them time give them time to think about it give them to the resources they need to help with this um, and you talked about the veterans uh, we lost a veteran a couple of weeks ago um, a very um a dear friend of mine who was the second recipient of the tiny homes succumbed to his demons a couple of weeks ago I'm so sorry I didn't I didn't mm -hmm. put that together. I didn't recognize a name. I'm sure I read their obituary as I read obituaries every morning, and we just don't know. And there yeah. again, somebody who had accepted help. And you know, when you started the tiny homes for veterans, one of the weird things was nobody would take the home. They mm -hmm. oh no, somebody needs it more. Somebody needs it more. The veterans are always so willing to put themselves last in the queue. Well, and they do. And that's one of the things that we, we have talked about before in the past is so many times when I interviewed, we took all the applications for the tiny homes, never down to the top ten, never that down to the top five, and then I personally interviewed the top five to um, receive that home. And every single one of the veterans that I talked to said, well, I appreciate that. I'm honored. I'm flattered to um, be considered for this. But if another veteran needs it more than me, give it to them. So every single one of them said give it to a brother give it to a sister give it to somebody else that needs it better than I do we had one veteran that was living in a camper in the winter time no heat no electricity he was using portable propane heaters in this um, pop-up camper that he was living in but he says rich I'm fine I'm perfectly fine here you know give it to somebody else if they need it more than me wow. um, so it is one of those that a veteran will throw himself on a grenade to protect his brothers and sisters. They will stand and fight in order so another veteran gets on that helicopter and gets air vacked out that he is wounded. They will go ahead and sacrifice themselves, you know, for somebody else to get out first, you know, type of scenario. So that's the veteran mentality is I'm strong, I can take it, I can hack it, I'm okay, even though, even though they're not. And we've talked about this, and we do it every month, and I'm glad to be part of this monthly trying to get this message out because, as Senator Jill Tracy has said, we all have to know what's available and what's out there so that we can help those who might be experiencing some difficulty. Um, I know there's a, a brand-new shiny VA clinic here, you know, in Quincy. Um, do you think, Senator Tracy, I mean, we do have a lot of programs. They do get funded. What what more needs to be done? Is it money? Is it manpower? Is it training? What is the biggest concern that you have as a state lawmaker, somebody who has to put 
funds behind programs, help programs, what's your biggest concern? Well, you always want it to be effective and, and meaningful. And uh, I, w- I have two bills. One would set aside within the Illinois Housing Authority 10% of their funds to go towards veterans' homelessness issues. Do I, I think it will work? That's why I filed the bill. But I, I want to have input from folks like Richard to tell me, do you really think that will, will make a difference? Uh, it goes towards multi-dwellings and of 20 or more, and do I think that's helpful? I don't know. As you say, I'm not a psychiatrist, and, and none of us are. Uh, so I always welcome input from groups, veterans groups and the auxiliaries that service veterans and, and daily, that work with them daily. Another bill I have is to create within the Illinois Veterans Affairs Organization a case manager who is dedicated to mental health issues that will kind of be like an ombudsman person to uh, assist a veteran who is within uh, the the system as as receiving services say for mental health or physical ailments and to try to uh, make sure that that person just really to keep more of an eye out for that person and to follow that person more to prevent homelessness and so do I, I'm hoping that works, but I don't know. And, and so that's an idea I'm trying. We try ideas all the time, but we always welcome input because the worst thing is that it, it doesn't have any effectiveness and it, it's just money thrown after something that I believe will work. So those are a couple of bills I'm working on. And certainly I know there's veterans groups that will, that are lobbyists and that will watch those bills and will that give me their input. I've filed veterans bills over in the past. I think, oh, this is a great idea. This is really going to work. And then I hear from the veterans groups, not really. And so you, you work with them and, and gain input and try to uh, craft a bill that will really get to the heart of the problem. So that's why I always look for, uh, because as we said, these men and women are very proud. They've lived in horrible conditions when they've been on the battlefield or in training and they don't expect much. Uh, they're servers. And so uh, it, it's always uh, something to try to find out and to get to them. But we must, must Do continue. Do you have bipartisan, like when you put these bills forward, and I know Illinois, well, the country and Illinois seem to be very um, broken down the middle. You know, whether you have a D after your name or an R after your name, you're expected to be, you know, mortal enemies or something like that. When you put forward a bill like this as a leadership of the Republican Party, but this has much to do with Republicanism, do you get support across the aisle from Democrats, or is there, oh, if Tracy says it, I'm not going to support it? No, no. Um, Veterans' issues and serving them and finding ways to make their lives better is definitely a bipartisan issue. Uh, We're lucky that Randy Fries in the House is spokesman of Veterans Affairs. I just recently, a new job for me is to be on the Veterans Affairs Committee in the Senate. And definitely we get support from both sides. You're learning a lot, I'm sure. Even after all the years you've been in the legislature, you learn new things when you get a new assignment. Oh, absolutely. And I know that, you know, and this is kind of retreading old water, but when the Illinois Veterans Home in Quincy, you know, it was like, well, it's kind of dilapidated, it's fulfilled its useful service. Thank you for advocating that it be rebuilt here in Quincy, because there could have been, it could have been lost to another community. And so, 
um, you know, I think it's critically important. We are so lucky to have a veterans home here. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. But right now we have to take, uh, as Rush Limbaugh would say, a crash crash commercial break. <laughs> uh, we are talking today with the Republican whip for the Illinois Senate, Jill Tracy. She's been representing our area since 2006. And she is on the leadership team guiding legislation and setting policy in Springfield. Richard Elson-Peter is also here as we talk about help for our local veterans. The uh, Rex Battery brings you this report from the Ursa Farmers Cooperative. It is 944 at Tuck Radio 930 WTAD. Illinois State Senator Jill Tracy, my guest today, along with Richard Elson-Peter. We've been talking primarily about veterans' issues. Uh, the Illinois Veterans Home, they've already had the topping off ceremony. So, you know, the construction there is, uh, well, it's not finished, but it's it's getting uh, close to being finished. And you touched on this earlier, Senator Tracy, but that is so critical for Quincy. Number one, the jobs that it brings in, you know. But number two, our veterans deserve modern, efficient nursing home care. They they need to have... Uh, both assistant, you know, all the phases that they would have in a in a commercial, you know, nursing home, assisted living, uh, you know, independent living. So I was kind of surprised, though, there will actually be fewer beds. Uh, but yet the the it, but we have fewer people serving in our military. So is this a new way to deal with uh, the fact that fewer and fewer people serve in our military? So we, of course we had a huge World War II presence that's moved through better. Korea pretty much has moved through, and I guess we're right in the middle of Vietnam right now. And we won't have a big surge like that in the state of Illinois. So is this enough? I mean, or will we be happy to add to the Illinois Veterans Home? Well, first of all, as we mentioned earlier, listening to what is needed and what's wanted, we had double rooming, uh, double beds in a room in that facility. And, And nursing homes, by and large, have gone to single rooms, recognizing Privacy. Privacy is important, and so that's one, you know, you cut your capacity 50% when you go to individual rooms, and the technology and the regulations, of course, drive up uh, the need for a smaller bed count, and staffing is, as we mentioned earlier, is always an issue. So it, it's built to be state-of-the-art. And uh, the state of the art requires that it have less beds. I still think it will will have a, a meaningful impact to really serve those that need it. Uh, as we go forward to, say, Iraqi freedom or the other conflicts that happened in the 80s and the 90s and going forward, we have so many injuries that occurred. And people lived from their injuries more than they have in the as you mentioned, World War II or the Korean War, because we didn't have the technology or the hands-on-deck to treat those injuries like we have in these past conflicts. So people are returning with huge injuries and are going to have very big needs. So I'm glad that these state-of-the-art facilities are going to be available to those that might need them sooner than later. And that was the thought process that went into it, is that uh, someone in their 60s, may need to avail themselves rather than when they're in their 80s. True, true. They could be entering at a much younger age. And as you said, your son, who's a Catholic priest and who is a a military chaplain with the Illinois National Guard, I'm sure he's been at the bedside of many people 
who really didn't expect necessarily to be wounded. I mean, I guess when you sign up for that duty, you know that that it could happen to you, but you also pray that it never will. And sometimes, as you mentioned, I mean, who would have thought in my father's era, if I'd have told my dad, you know, dad, someday the state of Illinois is going to be represented by a woman in the U.S. Senate who is a woman combat veteran who lost part of an arm and part of both legs to being shot down as a helicopter pilot. My dad would have not been able to conceive or believe almost something like that because that wasn't what the military was in World War II. And so we do have people surviving and people that need more help and families that need more help in dealing with that. Do you think statewide and nationwide we're stepping up to bat because we always say we want to support our veterans, but are we putting our money where our mouths are? Do you probably hear personal stories about people who have to travel long distances maybe to see loved ones or need specialized care that's only offered in, in areas and around here and remotely? We're in such a rural area. Do we have to go to a big city to get that kind of care? Well, we we uh, have, as you say, a state-of-the-art VA facility out at the old Best Buy building. That was an answer to a need. Uh, people said, well, we have to travel to Iowa City, yeah, which when you're old yeah. <laughs> isn't easy to get to. And of course, sometimes there'd be bus services <clears throat> or a van transport. But that was in response to people saying we want more direct services. And that's on the, the federal side. On the Illinois side, modernization of the Illinois, the Quincy Veterans Home certainly was a response. And making an old, a special Alzheimer's unit, Absolutely. turning the old Sycamore uh, nursing home, that's what I'll always call and it. And I'll tell you what, though, uh, the old Sycamore really came through. It's amazing how nice it is on the inside and how much the, the folks that live there appreciate that and that they're more protected there in isol- to be a, you know, a co- isolated but yet um, part of the community uh, situation. Uh, another thing uh, I was um, going to mention was, um, well, it left me just now, Mary. Go right ahead. <laughs> Go right ahead. I was, Jill, one other I, thing. You and I could have trouble for prolonged conversations because <laughs> we both have a little bit of the same problem. But you mentioned the federal with the VA stepping up here in Quincy makes it a lot more accessible. And this, again, one of the things I know they do because I have some family that work out there, they do. When you come in with, a, you know, maybe an Agent Orange or you've got your knee blown out or whatever, they ask you. They kind of assess your mental health, too. I think that more and more doctors are doing that, asking you mental health questions, trying to make it integrated. That's really been part of the struggle, as you mentioned, getting more like women's mental health issues, having such a, such a separation, Senator Tracy, well, from right. yeah, physical and health and mental health, when really a lot of times they are the same thing. True. And uh, the thing that lapsed my my memory was uh, the building of the Chicago Veterans Home. Mm-hmm. It, it took a long time, but likewise, there was a hearing that people, to come to the Quincy Veterans Home, they were not close to their loved ones. Right. And so having uh, strategically placed geographic locations throughout the state, say Anna's a, a new home, Quincy, has been a hub for a, a long time of West Central Illinois and more. But they had a lot of Chicagoans there, and still do. And the guys from Chicago still love the Quincy Veterans Home. But likewise, now there is a f- new facility there in Chicago that's open that helps those uh, up in that region. And, and that's critically important. Again, that all costs money. 
Um, let's get off of the veterans. I'm going to let it go at this. I want to ask you just a general uh, question. Uh, wow. What's it like being in the minority? Do you feel like you, you get off veterans issues, get on a lot of other issues now? Anything that happens in the Illinois uh, Senate, you've been around for a long time, so you have a great deal of respect. I mean, didn't, did you run for lieutenant governor on someone's ticket for a, for a while? I did. And, and, and do you ever perceive yourself as running for governor? Or you have a lot of deep respect in your party. Well, that, that I, I really enjoyed running statewide back in 2015, I guess, for the 2016 primary. I enjoyed it. Uh, I It meant that I would leave the House because you can't do both. And then I was out for two years and then was able to run again and be in the Senate. And the reason I stayed was is there's still projects that I feel passionate about. Econ- economic development in our rural areas is critical and funding for public education. Do so, you feel that the Democrats that lead now, Pritzker and his crew, I mean, do you feel like they're doing enough that you can kind of get in in the cycle with them, or is it still kind of a headbutting situation? Well, I will say when I started in 06, definitely the, the sides weren't so polarized as they far as the, no. the minorities and the super minorities and the like. And we have a lot of new folks that come into the the House or the Senate that have never served with smaller margins between Republicans and Democrats. And I see kind of an arrogance and uh, a feeling that they don't have to work with a minority. And that's troubling. I love these bipartisan issues like Veterans Affairs and and public public education funding and that kind of thing, because that's where we can build consensus and uh as I say, this Women's Caucus I work with in the Senate, it's great because we promote women's issues or family issues like child care affordability and access, which is huge right oh, now in the so state. Huge. So we look for those areas where we can come together, and when we work on those, we build support and appreciation for each other and respect. And then that builds upon if I have an idea that I think would help economic development and why it would be vital for Illinois and to bring back population in Illinois. They'll listen to me perhaps better because we've worked on bipartisan issues. So that helps, and we just look for ways to build consensus, to build respect. Respect's got kind of lost in this whole. I respect anybody else's opinion, maybe not mine, but um, that they have their right as right. an American. Right, you're not going to vote that way necessarily, but you, you want to come to some kind of coalition with them. And that's the other thing. It's not just a D and an R, but it's a downstate rural versus Chicago. You've been, in this game, you've been in this game a long, long time now. You have to really educate your fellow senators, especially newcomers who have never even, don't even know what a cow looks like. You know, you've got to let them know that, I'm willing to help you support some things in your area, but you're going to have to vote on a few things that, and I'm going to help educate you about what those things are because everybody is an Illinoisan. Absolutely. And we talk about agriculture all the time being the number one industry in Illinois. Never let them lose sight of that. And and the Farm Bureau has a great program where they do adopt a legislator and have uh, the suburban representatives or senators come to their farms and learn about how important it is and what is a GMO and what it is not. I remember when John Sullivan brought Emil Jones down to Rushville to a pig farm or something like that, and we were laughing. He said, uh, you know, that's going to do more probably for agriculture in Illinois, just getting somebody to understand that, 
every time they sit down to, I mean, JB sits down to a bacon breakfast, I think, pretty often the girth of that boy, but does he really understand from a hotel background, you know, does he understand uh, the ins and outs? So well, it's he really needs important. food in that hotel. Yeah, yeah, he so, needs food in that hotel, so he's glad to have And, you know, now, though, they're, they're putting gardens on rooftops, yeah. the suburban agriculture, and I think... There is a new appreciation for agriculture and eating locally and not importing all these foods and, and recognizing the importance of the American farmer and the Illinois farmer. Got a Super Bowl ad. I was reading about the the Tazewell County farm. uh, There's a Pike County guy down here in in, uh, Pike County that was on it, too. Well, first of all, thank you for coming by today in your busy schedule. We'll have to have you back more often. Okay. And thank you for everything you're doing with veterans. Richard, I'm going to give you the last word. What's coming up? What do we need to know about? I think the Tri-State Veterans Support is doing some great things. Um, the Together Tri-State Veterans are working very, very hard to help bring awareness about veteran suicide within the urban communities. Uh, we are about ready to um, talk about expanding that into Missouri okay. side of it. Uh, and I know that we're also looking at trying to start a Purple Star Schools for veterans within um, the Adams County area, as well as we are getting our uh, racks out. We're going ahead and talking to our uh, medical, uh, mental health community uh, with uh, different uh, uh, groups to talk about this. So, yeah, I think there's some great, great things going on. Stay tuned in March. We'll talk about this and many other topics. And thanks again to our state senator, Jill Tracy. Okay, thank you.